Lord Jesus Christ, open our eyes to see you. Open our ears to hear you. Open our minds to understand you. And open our mouths to speak about you. In the name of the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Here's your news flash for the morning. I am not a farmer. The Aggies in the room will understand this. I'm not even a fighting farmer, although I have great respect for the fighting farmers of the world. I've never even played a farmer on TV. I guess I'd have to be on TV first to consider playing a farmer. And I'm not even much of a gardener. Just ask my wife. But as many of you know, we do actually have a garden in our backyard. And over the years, Margie has grown some really cool things in it. Watermelon, cantaloupe, carrots, lettuce, blueberries, strawberry, even jalapenos and often tomatoes. Of all the things we've tried, I actually think we've had the most success with tomatoes. Maybe because in her wisdom, when Margie first tried tomatoes, she planted heirloom tomatoes. And if you know anything about gardening, which I still don't, evidently you can't kill heirlooms. They seem to come back every year, like it or not, and of course we do like it. Well, this year, at least from my point of view, something very interesting happened. In the area where we usually plant tomatoes, where the tomatoes usually spring up, Margie planted green beans. Did I get that right? We put green beans in that area of the garden. And the green beans, green beans, easy for me to say, have grown up really well. We've actually had them for dinner already a couple of times. But here's the interesting part. The tomatoes seem to be completely undeterred by having their territory taken from them. In fact, they just decided to relocate themselves. In a mystery known only to God, our tomato plants sprung up about 25 yards away from where they were originally planted. Who knew? They seem determined to grow, to bloom, and to produce fruit, and we're not really sure how it happened. And in the parables from today's gospel reading, Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of God is something like that. Now, a parable is a fantastic literary tool. At their core, parables are stories. Stories that contain a moral and or spiritual truth, and Jesus told them often. In fact, the Bible records over 30 parables, over 30 parables that Jesus told. And Jesus told these parables with different purposes in mind. Sometimes he told a parable to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy. Other times he told parables to expose the wickedness in the hearts of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so sometimes Jesus actually told parables to conceal truths from people. But mostly, mostly Jesus spoke in parables to capture the attention of his audience. To help them know him and understand his message and his mission by using illustrations that they could relate to. And in so doing, he revealed certain truths to them, making those truths very practical and very relevant. And this is what we have in the parables we heard today. He's not 
excluding, he's including. Both of these parables involve sowing and growing of seeds, both of which an agrarian society could relate to very easily, very easily. They did this every day, quite unlike me. So what purposes does Jesus have in mind? There are at least three that I think are important. First, where it concerns the kingdom of God, where it concerns the kingdom of God, Jesus is actually resetting their imagination. You see, it's doubtless that when the Israelites thought about the kingdom of God, especially given their present oppression by the Roman Empire, their image was surely more like the one we got in Ezekiel, where the justice and the righteousness of God look more like the work of a lumberjack than a farmer or a gardener scattering seeds, let alone, let alone the smallest seed of all. Cutting down those prideful foreign nation, breaking their branches and their boughs, as the scriptures say, because these nations, Ezekiel tells us, are given over to death, to the world below, he says, belonging with the children of men and with those who go down to the pit. So the Israelites likely had in their mind God storming the heavens with justice and righteousness, cutting down, chopping down everything that didn't look like him. So how can it be? How can it be that the kingdom of God is like a man scattering seed on the ground? How can it be that the kingdom of God is like a small, tiny mustard seed sown into the ground? It can be like that when we consider the seed itself. Time and time again, Jesus talked about his own death and resurrection. Over and over, Jesus taught his disciples that these things must happen. In other words, just as one tiny mustard seed is sown into one small place in the ground and it grows up to be larger than all of the other garden plants around it, so it is with the Son of God. One man set among one group of people at one place on the earth in one point in time that he might be buried into the earth and resurrected for the redemption of the whole world. And if the Jews had had microphones, this might be one of those mic drop moments that people talk about nowadays. You see, my friends, here's the point. The things that God has in mind are so much more. They are so much more wonderful and so much more glorious that sometimes they are indeed different from the way we might imagine them. Yes, God is a God of justice. Yes, God will rule in righteousness. But God is also loving and gracious and merciful and forgiving. Thanks be to God. As the scripture says, desiring not the death of a sinner, but that he might turn from his wickedness and live. So as much as Israel might have thought it or believed it or maybe even wanted it, it was never, never God's plan to serve and save them and them alone. God had much bigger things in mind. He was after the whole world, and he aimed to get it. So to help the Israelites see it, to help the people see it, first he had to reset their imaginations concerning the kingdom of God. He had to tear down their old ideas so he could make room for the new and greater things yet to come. And second, 
The second thing he had to do is to reshape the narrative around what it means to be saved. Building it around his life, his death, and his resurrection, a seemingly small seed sown into the ground just outside of Jerusalem that would soon be raised to a new life-giving tree of righteousness whose branches of love and grace and mercy would soon extend to the ends of the earth. So these two things, these two things working together, resetting their imagination about the kingdom of God and reshaping their understanding of salvation, they pave the way for the third purpose Jesus has in mind in this parable. What is that purpose? He is preparing them for the birth of the church. He's getting people ready for their future life in ministry. So let's do something. Let's fast forward for just a minute from the time that this parable was told in Jesus' earthly life and ministry. Let's now put ourselves after. After the time of the resurrection, even after his ascension, let's put ourselves in the season of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit has come and lighted upon his apostles to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And here you are. You're among the crowd. You're one of them. You heard these parables during Jesus' earthly life and ministry. And now here come this ragtag band of apostles, and even more people are now with them. They're marching through the highways and the byways. They're even entering into people's homes, proclaiming this message, Christ has died Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And I wonder, I wonder if these parables now make a little more sense. As the crowd hears this full gospel message, don't you think that the parable of that tiny mustard seed sown into the ground now sounds something like Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? beginning to branch out into the nations, bearing the fruit of the salvation of the world. And that parable of the man scattering seed on the ground, sleeping and rising day and night as the seeds sprout and grow, not knowing how, but knowing this, that the grain is ripe and the harvest has come. Doesn't that parable look something like this group of disciples, scattering gospel seed wherever they go, not knowing when or even how or even where they will bear fruit, but knowing that as they are faithful to do their part, God is faithful to do his part. And in our reading of Paul's epistle this morning, we have such an excellent word that it's worth reading again. A word that reminds us of these things which are the deepest desires of the human heart and a word that propels the church of today into our own mission and ministry. Paul writes, For we know. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, not a house made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, 
so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. Don't you love that? The things that are mortal and and perishable and seem to be dying, God is actually swallowing them up with life. Paul continues, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. Aren't you of good courage this morning? And every morning? We are of good courage, for we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by... Come on. We walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So I'm going to ask us to do a little something different this week. Because, you see, this parable was easy for an ancient and agrarian society to understand, but I bet we would also agree that it's largely lost on our modern culture of convenience. Here's an example. We've been ministering with some children at Rivertree. We had them over to our home to play in the backyard. They'd never seen any of this. They were so enamored by the garden and how things were growing. We've got a little fish pond in the backyard. They actually asked if they could clean it. I should have them over more often. (laughs) We spent an hour just cleaning the fish pond and refilling it, and they were so excited to do something like that. Teaching them that, no, you can't just put the fish back in the fresh water or it will shock them of cold. You have to let the water. I mean, they, they had no idea about these things. And it was marvelous to be able to share that experience with them. And in a world that is largely fed on a steady diet of fast food and instant gratification, it is the church. It is the church who must hold on to these timeless truths and live them for ourselves so we can teach them to others. So I'm asking you, and maybe especially if you have children, to go home and to plant something. Plant something. To get an actual seed or some seeds and plant them in a pot or even make a small garden to go through the process of tending and nurturing and watering and watch it grow. And I can see all the gardeners in the congregation laughing and smiling with joy. I love hearing your stories. After all, Jesus did not say the kingdom of God is like an iPad. Fancy that. Sorry, iPad. You see, Margie, I think, got it right. As reluctant of a gardener as I myself may be, I'm learning a lot by gardening with her. First of all, humility. But also by doing this work of gardening with her, I'm engaging in these parables in ways that I never could have otherwise. I'm being reminded of what Jesus and his kingdom really look like. Things like submission. And surrender 
virtues like patience and perseverance and persistence in proclaiming the gospel. Experiences like success and yes, sometimes failures, but most of all, faithfulness. For we walk by and not by, thank you, never quite knowing when or where the fruit of our labor will come, but trusting that as we do our part in planting the seed, God is always faithful to do his part in keeping his promises and producing fruit in accordance with the gospel. So go and do something that is at once normal and natural to the kingdom of God, but also radically countercultural in a world of instant gratification. Plant a seed somewhere. Watch it grow. And as it bears fruit, do something even more radical. Invite somebody over to share in it, to eat of it, to share the stories of how these things happen. It's actually pretty cool. Then as a church, let's do something ridiculous for Jesus. Let's take the spiritual truths that God is speaking to us in these parables and let's see if we can't do the same thing in ministry for the sake of the gospel. What is God asking you to do? How is God calling us to serve? And yes, it may appear small and insignificant at first, but isn't that exactly what Jesus said it would look like? That's the comfort. That's the encouragement. That's what it's going to look like. But if we will just be faithful to do our part, trusting in our sovereign God to do his part, we may not know how. We may not know when. We may not know where these seeds will spring up from the ground, but we can be assured that the branches will grow and the grain will fill the ear and the time of harvest will happen and we can all rejoice and share in the fruits of these labors. After all, my friends, if you hear anything this morning, hear this. The kingdom of God doesn't just come to us by hearing these parables. It comes to us by living these parables. It doesn't just come to us by hearing the parables. It comes to us by living them.